We're in the fourth and final week in our series, Marriage, Don't Believe the Lies, where we're looking at what I believe are the four most common lies that destroy marriages and destroy homes today. But before we get into our message this week and our final lie in the series, I want to first start by just saying thank you to the many people who have taken the time to send emails and provide feedback and give encouragement about the series and about what it's meant for you in your personal life. And based on the feedback, it seems like there's something I said last week that seems to have struck a chord with many people out there. And it's where I said that the reason we do a series like this is because we never want to be people who take swim lessons from a camel. And obviously when I say that, you're like, yeah, why would you take swim lessons from a camel? A camel doesn't know how to swim. So it's like intuitive. But the the idea behind it is the advice is only as good as the advice giver. And again, this makes sense that in any aspect of life, you find someone who has achieved what you want to achieve, someone who's successful in an area you want to be successful in, and you're willing to listen to their advice because they have a track record. And I find that in every area of life, this is what we do naturally. But somehow, when it comes to marriage, we're willing to settle for much less. Somehow, when it comes to marriage, we're willing to listen to advice from a society and quote-unquote experts who, as uh, for the most part, have failed when it comes to marriage. And that's exactly why we're doing this series, is because we need to dispel the myths. We need to speak truth in the face of lies, because the truth is that marriage is a glorious thing, a majestic thing, a beautiful thing, but you will never experience that beauty and that majesty and that glory of marriage until you understand it properly. Jesus said it this way in John 8, verse 32. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The only way to experience the beauty of marriage is to understand the truth about marriage. And that's why we're doing this series, to dispel the lies and to speak truth in the face of them. And when it comes to marriage, okay, I see four very common lies that we've been talking about. Each week we looked at a different one. And just quick recap, okay, what you missed in the first three weeks in case you're just tuning in today. The first week was we talked about, I married the wrong person. I married the wrong person. This is the most common lie, okay? Disney has done their job. Fairy tales have done their job. They've convinced us that there's this magical Mr. Right out there, this Miss Right. And the reason that we're struggling is because we married the wrong person. So, you know, if you bought the wrong shoes, you're not going to be comfortable. If you bought the wrong sweater, it's not going to look right. Um, if you, you, The reason you're struggling in your marriage is because you got the wrong husband. That's okay. We all make mistakes. You got the wrong wife. And somehow they've convinced us that there's this magical right person out there. And once we are convinced of this lie... Okay, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We stop investing in our current spouse and start looking out there for the spouse that is the the magical spouse out there. And then we end up proving, okay, what we uh, believed, which is that this marriage isn't going to work. Well, what we said is that is a fairy tale, childlike, immature view of life. And marriages that work are not based on magic. They're based on hard work and commitment. That was the first lie that I married the wrong person. Week two, we looked at the second lie, which is it's all his fault or it's all her fault. And that's basically the lie where the devil convinces you that, you know what? It's not my fault. Is that we have marriage problems because of him or because of her. And what I said that week, I said, the truth is I don't believe in marriage problems anymore. No one come and tell me we have marriage problems. I don't believe in it. What I believe in is people with problems get married. 
And most likely, the problems that you're experiencing today in your marriage are problems that you came into the marriage with. Marriage didn't create the problem, it simply exposed them. And what we talked about there, in case you forgot, is about the importance of guarding our hearts and examining what's on the inside that, again, we brought into marriage with us. Because the truth is, is that my ability to feel loved or my ability to feel respected or cared for or nurtured, my ability to feel anything is based just as much on the condition of my heart as it is on my spouse's behavior. Third week, which was last week, we looked at this lie, and this one differed based on the husbands and the wives. Wives, the lie is this. He's not good enough, and he'll never be good enough. Husbands, it was, I'm not good enough, and I'll never be good enough. What we talked about last week is that a man's ability to be great, a man's ability to be a strong leader, the secret to him getting there is his own belief in himself and his wife's belief in him. So let's start with the wives. We said that your job, okay, believe it or not, I know sometimes we think it's our job to make sure our husband stays humble, to make sure that he knows about all the dumb decisions that he's made, to make sure everyone knows about his shortcomings. That's what we think is our job, to keep him humble. But what we talked about last week is actually when we do that, actually all we're doing is shooting ourselves in the foot. We're working against our own best interest. Because ladies, you got to know this, is that your man, whatever he says on the outside, your man on the inside does not want to fail does not want to be a failure when it comes to marriage. But if you keep telling him that he is, he's going to eventually believe it and he's going to stop trying. That's why what we need to do, ladies, believe the best versus assume the worst. Now, gentlemen, you are not off the hook here. The reason why I have to say to your wife, believe in him, okay, you need to make my job much easier and you need to give them a reason to believe in you. We need to give them a reason to believe that we can be great. And we'll do that when we reject passivity and we step into our God-ordained role. Remember, on our wedding day, God ordained us as priest, as prophet, and as king. And until we step in there in that role, it's going to be hard for our wives to believe in us. So those are the first three lies. Okay, and each week, in case you missed it, you can go back, catch up on our YouTube page. Each week, we spoke truth in the face of those lies Because as I've said from the very start, the only path to find healing in any area, but especially in marriage, is truth. So you're never going to find what you're looking for as long as you are believing the lies. Now, let's get to our fourth and final lie this week. And today's lie is very simple. And today's lie is something that, to be honest, all of the previous three lies were like stepping stones to get us to this point. Because the devil's ultimate goal is never to injure us or hurt us. The devil's goal is to destroy us. And the same is true when it comes to marriage. Our fourth and final lie is something that the world believes. And it's very simple. And it's very easy for for people to fall prey to this. And that is this. Divorce is no big deal. Divorce is no big deal. In 2013, there was an opinion piece written in the Washington Post that was titled, Wedlock is a thing of the past. Wed lease is the new trend. This was not a joke. This is like a real article where a guy is talking about wedlock is a thing of the past. Wed lease is the new trend. And one of the things he says in there is this. He says, we all know that far too many marriages end in divorce. Yet somehow this institution does not adapt. Why is there no effort to improve the legal structure of marriage when it shows itself to be deficient? And obviously this guy's a lawyer. That's why he's worried about the legal structure. And basically, the point of this article, which again is not a joke, is that marriage is outdated. 
like marriage for life. Like, come on, like that's what our parents did. But we, we, we've evolved. Like so many things have evolved from like the 1950s. Okay, so all, all that marriage for life till death do us part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff doesn't really apply now. What he's saying is, is as so many things have evolved, marriages need to evolve. And we need to, in his opinion, borrow a concept from the automobile industry or the real estate industry and move towards leases versus outright owning. And basically, okay, his, his premise is, okay, if you buy a car, if you buy a car, that's yours for life and you're stuck with it for the rest of your life. But why buy when you can lease? And if you lease a car, it's yours for, you know, a year or three years or five years or whatever the terms are. And then you know what? At the end of those, those three years, if it's still working, you can renew. But if it's not, you can trade her in for another one. His point is, you should be able to do that with marriage. So you should marry for a term, a year, five years, 10 years. And if things are working, yeah, let's renew that bad boy and keep it going. But if it's not, let's just agree to move on and let's agree up front. And this way, we don't have to worry about the messiness of divorce and things like that. And in his proposal, which again is a serious proposal, you can look it up online if you don't believe me. In his proposal, he talks about, you know, how to deal with the kids, how to deal with the house. He even talks about, he even talks about a security deposit, okay? Okay, that when you get married and you sign a wed lease, you have a security deposit to ensure compliance with the terms agreed upon. And you're thinking, this is insane, okay? If, if truly this is the way the world goes, then that's going to change the way we do proposals, right? So no more you would get on one knee and say, will you marry me? Now, according to him, you would say, will you marry me for 36 months at interest-free and, and <laughs> obviously, okay, this guy, this guy is the epitome of swim lessons from a camel. This guy is the epitome because this guy, I don't know who this guy is, but I can assume, I think we can safely assume he's either A, divorced or B, on his third or fourth lease when it comes to marriage, okay? This guy clearly has a different view and a different opinion on marriage. And I'll be honest, if you look at this guy's view on marriage, you know, he basically says divorce, no big deal. Marriage is just a transaction. His main concern here is the logistical, okay? The logistics of, of marriage and divorce, and we should make it easy and make it simple. And clearly this guy has a different view of marriage than I do and that you do, hopefully, and that the scripture teaches us. Because St. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And that leave meant a permanent leave. Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Clearly, this author of this article has a different view of marriage. He views logistics and he views security deposits. And St. Paul is talking about leaving something forever, joining something forever. And St. Paul uses the word, it's a great mystery. And that gets us to our first truth, okay? With today's lie, the divorce is no big deal. This lie is, is, is simple, okay? But it's so prevalent that we have three truths to combat it, okay? So our first truth is based on this verse, and that is this. Marriage is not a man-made institution. Marriage is a God-ordained mystery. Marriage is not a man-made institution. It's not something that I created or you created or the courts created. 
Marriage is not something that man invented. If it's something that we invented, we can change the rules. But marriage is something that was ordained by God. Go to the book of Genesis. God created Adam. He gave him the animals. He gave him the trees. He gave him food. He gave him everything. But Adam still had a void, something that was missing. So God said, I am going to give you the greatest gift that I can give you, and that is marriage. And that's why when Adam saw, okay, Eve, he had seen the, the dogs and the cats and the monkeys and the elephants. And he was like, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. When he saw Eve, you know what he said? He said, whoa, man. Okay. That's where we got the name woman. Okay. He said, whoa, man, because this is the greatest thing that, 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 that God could ever give. It wasn't something Adam did for himself. It was something God ordained for him. <clears throat> and what St. Paul is saying is it is a great mystery. What is a mystery? What does that word mean to you? A mystery, I've always defined mystery this way, is when we know what, but we don't know how. When we know what, but we don't know how. So for example, if I say like this crime took place and it's a great mystery. The crime is that someone stole, you know, the diamond from the museum with the glass and the Mission Impossible stuff or whatever it is. So the what, we know. Someone stole the diamond. The how, we don't know. How'd they get past security? How'd they get past the cameras? How'd they get past the lasers? Okay, we don't know. Mystery, we know what, we don't know how. Or someone says like the pyramids, for example. We know what happened, that somehow these great structures and this big, huge stones and the engineering behind it, how do they do it? We don't know how, it's a mystery. Okay, we know what, we don't know how. Well, when it comes to marriage and actually all the sacraments, the sacraments themselves, all of them, the, the official word for sacraments, the Greek word for sacraments is mysterion. So that's why the better word is not sacrament, but mysteries. Because it's clear when it comes to the sacraments or the mysteries that there's more there than meets the eye. What we see is bread. Okay, let's talk about Eucharist. We see bread, but we know it's more than meets the eye. It's not just bread. It's the body of Christ. Okay, what is it? Body of Christ. How? Don't ask me how. I don't know how. It's a mystery. It's a miracle from, from above. Baptism. We see water. Okay, but we know the what, the water is not just, is just regular water, it's new life in Christ, new creation in Christ. What happens? We know. How it happens? We don't know. Same thing when it comes to confession. We say a few words, but what happens? We're forgiven our sins. How? We don't know how. What versus how? Well, marriage is the same way. Marriage is a mystery. Marriage is more than meets the eye. Marriage is not just two people live together. Marriage is not just two people uh, raise kids together. It's not just two people living in the same house. Marriage is a great mystery. And it's where two are united into one through the descent of the Holy Spirit. And you say, how? And I'm telling you, that's a mystery. And just because we can't explain it doesn't mean it's not true. Now, the problem is, is that human beings in general, our nature is to reject things that we cannot understand and that we cannot explain because we are arrogant. We don't like things that we don't, can't explain and put into a formula. That's why historically, when there's things that we now know are true, at the time before they were explainable, humanity rejected them. Like for example, the earth is flat or the earth is round. The earth is flat, of course, because that's what we see. And someone came and said, no, actually the earth is round because the science is this and the calculations. And they said, no, you're crazy. That can't be true, that's, that's nonsense. Okay, because man couldn't explain it. Or when they said the sun revolves around the earth, clearly the sun is moving, Clearly, our eyes are seeing it right, right in front of our own eyes. So, of course, the earth is not moving. The sun is moving. But just because you can't explain it, just because you can't see it, doesn't mean there's not more happening there behind the scenes. There's more than meets the eye. And marriage is the same way. Marriage is more than just two people living together, like I said. It's more than just a handshake agreement. It's more than a lease 
that you do for your car and return it after five years. Like, come on. Now, the thing is, the divorce is no big deal. That opinion, the reason why it's, it's, it's very easy for people to accept it and embrace it, because if we're honest, it makes life much easier. It's convenient, provides flexibility. It provides me an out anytime I want. Like I said, it's the Amazon thing. It's the free returns. But while it is true that divorce being no big deal is convenient and is easy, there's one serious problem with, 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 the, with, the, with the, the theory. And that's simply, it's not true. And in case you don't believe me, okay, remember, no swim lessons from a camel. So in case you say, Father Anthony, what does he know? You don't know what he's talking about. Okay, don't believe me. Let's look to Jesus. Because Jesus spoke about marriage. And when he spoke about marriage, he was very clear that marriage is more than just meets the eye. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Jesus said, the Pharisees, I'm sorry, the scriptures say, the Pharisees also came to him, him being Jesus, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, understand the context here. First century, Middle East, women, I'm sorry to say, were not treated with any rights. Women were seen as property, okay, for, by the society at large. Women had no rights. So divorce and marriage was not ethical, was not moral, was not spiritual, had nothing to do with any of that. It was simply a civil matter. And it was simply saying, like, there was no God element to this thing. They were, excuse me, they were thinking to themselves that divorce, it's, it's like a court thing, like a civil thing. So they're asking, is it lawful for a man to get rid of his wife for just any reason? And Jesus as he always does, takes their understanding and lifts them up higher and he raises the bar and he tells them, guys, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You're talking about civil. You're talking about logistics. You're talking about leasing. I'm talking about something much greater. Verse four, he says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, the first thing that he says right here he says, look, guys, marriage is more than meets the eye. There's more than you see. It's not just a handshake. It's not just a paper that we sign. It's not just a return on Amazon. It's two become one flesh. And then the next verse, he doubles down. He reiterates it and he takes it to an even higher level and he leaves no room for misunderstanding and misinterpretation. He leaves no room, if we're honest, he leaves no room. There's no wiggle room in what Jesus is about to say in Matthew 19, verse 6. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. There ain't no wiggle room in that. There is no, but he's the wrong person. There is no, but you should see what she did. There is no, but he wasn't kind and didn't remember Valentine. There's none of that. They are no longer two. They are one. Mystery has taken place. What you see is more, what exists is more than what you see. Therefore, and when God says, when Jesus says, therefore, he's saying, watch out. Therefore, let not man separate, okay, what God has joined together. And the key there really is that expression, what God has joined together. So basically what Jesus is saying is, look, if you tied your shoe, you can untie it. Go ahead. But you didn't tie yourself in marriage. I did. God has joined us together. Man did not join himself together. Man was joined by God. So therefore, basically what he's saying is, back up. Stay in your lane. <clears throat> you didn't join, so therefore you have no right to unjoin. Let me say that a slightly different way. 
It's like God's, it's like Jesus saying, what God has written, let not man erase. What God has done, let not man undo. Or as I heard it said one time, I think it's a beautiful expression, even though it's not grammatically correct. What God has wound, what God has wound, let not man unwone. What God has made one, let not man try to separate. <clears throat> so that gets us to our second truth when it comes to this marriage lie, and that's this. Marriage isn't something we shouldn't undo. Marriage is something that we can't undo. Marriage isn't a you shouldn't. Marriage is a you can't undo. And to illustrate this point, <clears throat> I want to give you a little example, a little illustration that I have done many times, okay, when I go and speak to like our youth retreats about this subject of, of marriage and divorce. And that is this, okay? If you had two pieces of paper right here, well, we, what, what society's view, marriage is no big deal, is that marriage is like, okay, when you get married, it's like sticking these two pieces of paper like this and then removing them, okay? Or what's even better, let's say we had Velcro, is that I Velcro and then I remove it. I Velcro, I remove it. So you get married to this person, okay, this is going very, very well, this is nice, and then all of a sudden things aren't good, so you split and then you go marry someone else. And you marry someone else, and that's fine, and you can do that as many times as you want, and it's basically like high-fiving. But what Jesus says here is that when marriage happens, God has joined it together. And instead, think of it like two pieces of paper that have been glued together, okay? And once they're glued together, and look, they're together, and they're great, and they're whole, and they're perfect, and they're different colors, and they're beautiful. But then when you try to undo them, it doesn't work as well, right? And all of a sudden, you try to undo? Uh-uh. And look what happened right here. It's not that you shouldn't undo. It's that you can't undo. It is impossible for divorce to happen and the two to come out the same way they started. Each one bears permanent damage when it comes to unwanting what God has won. Like those are two pieces of paper with glue and you saw the damage that was caused by pulling them apart. Which is stronger? That glue, that Elmer's Fudd glue or whatever it is, or the Holy Spirit and the uniting that God does in marriage? If you can't un untie the, the glued paper, you got no shot with the God glued paper and what God has united. Now, as soon as I say that, as soon as I say that, Okay, everyone out there, if you're believing this lie, divorce is no big deal. I know exactly what you're thinking because I heard it a thousand times. Let me tell you what you're thinking. What you're thinking is, yeah, you know what? I can see that for my friend or I can see that for so-and-so, but that won't be me. I'll be the exception to the rule. I'll be okay. I'll be better off and it will have no impact on me and I will be totally fine. I promise you in front of God, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I have never met one person. I've met a lot of people in life. I never met one person who, if they were honest, if they were honest, I'll never, I've never met one person who, if they were honest, wouldn't tell you that divorce took a toll on them and affected them in a way that they would have never imagined possible. And even, again, I'm not saying that, 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 you know, their life is destroyed after, and I'm not saying that, you know, that certain circumstances, you know, didn't mean that they had to, I'm not saying it like that. But what I'm saying is this, it's kind of like abortion. Okay, so many people go into it because that's what the world tells us. This is abortion is no big deal. And it's just, you know, it's an embryo and just remove it. It's not a big deal. So many people go into abortion and think, that's eh, not that big a deal and have no impact. I'm telling you, there's not one person I know, I, I know, okay, who has had an abortion, who isn't impacted by it for years and years and years and years to come. And I know people, great people who have, you know, made peace with God and repented and, and, and everything like that. But they're still haunted by that decision that they made when they were younger. And it still affects them. Divorce is the same way. It doesn't, doesn't look like it. It looks like it'll be no big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, we've broken up before. 
We've broken engagements. What's we see people who are divorced all the time, right? Like if it worked for the celebrities, like you know, Brad and Angelina, like it didn't work for them. So you know what? Like they seem to be okay. They seem to have bounced back or whatever it is. So you know, come on. Like it's not that big a deal. But if we're honest, if we're honest, you'll never be the same. These two pieces of paper will never be the same again. They'll never be the same as they were before. Because you can't unwind what God won. You can't undo what God did. You can't erase what God has written. <clears throat> and in case you don't believe me, I brought someone with me today. I actually brought three people with me today. And I want you to listen to what they have to say. And these three people I think you should listen to. Because I'm going to let you listen to some quotes from three children whose parents were divorced. Okay? Three separate children. Okay? From three... Okay, not, 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 not from the same marriage. And I asked them to share their thoughts. Okay, I just asked, I sent an email to, to three different people, basically said, I'm going to speak about this subject. Divorce is no big deal. Would you like to share any thoughts on the subject? And before I share, okay, what they have to say, these three people, okay, variety of ages, variety of genders, like there's male and there's female, there's young and there's old. There's people who are married with children, people who are on their way to getting married, um, and But all these three people, what they have in common, I chose them in particular. These are all three people who have well become well-adjusted to life and got their life together and able to overcome. And I wanted you to see them because what I could have brought you is people who were the exact opposite. People who refuse to speak about marriage and people who refuse to even think about it. And people who, if I said, can you talk about your parents' divorce? They, 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 couldn't even, they, they couldn't even for a second do that because there's many of those people out there. But I wanted to give you the best case scenario, okay? To show you the best, but let you know that this is the best that it's gonna be, but most likely, okay, it's gonna fall somewhere underneath this. And the truth that you'll see with every one of these quotes is that divorce is a big deal and it always leaves a mark, okay? First quote. Looking back for many years in my marriage, 30 years this August, I think I did all kinds of acrobatics, emotionally, physically, mentally, trying to avoid doing, saying, breathing anything that even remotely looked like my parents did. I think it's fair to say that to some extent, I probably missed out on completely enjoying aspects of my life because with every good, enjoyable milestone, occasion, vacation, etc., I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop or I never felt that what I ever did was good enough. I would worry that what I would say or do I would worry that what I would say or do something would, that would cause my marriage to end up in divorce for no legitimate reason. I could not even, quote, disagree like a normal human being without worrying if I don't go along with something I might not like that it would pile up in an imaginary, quote, reasons to divorce bucket. And then they finished it by, by basically saying codependency, people pleasing, manipulation, lots of insecurity in myself, no true trust in myself, my husband much less God. That's all from the first person. And you see what they wrote. And I didn't edit it at all. I left the all caps, all caps, and I left the, the grammatical because I wanted you to see exactly what they said. There's a person who said been married 30 years, 30 years, and still to this day, it's affecting them. And it said affected their relationship with their husband and with their God, okay? That's the first person. Let's go to the second quote. It's this. Divorce's impact on the family is generational. And I highlighted that word, generational. Divorce had a profound impact on my life and caused me to doubt the stability of our family as a kid. It destroyed my vision of feeling secure and part of a healthy family unit. It still lingers in the back of my mind, 
sometimes leaving me to wonder if my marriage will end up the same way. I honestly can't imagine what our lives would have been like if our folks stayed together. I don't know if you're feeling the same thing as I'm feeling. Okay, I got children and the thought of parents doing this to their children is heartbreaking. Let's go to the last quote and the last quote sums this up perfectly and speaks boldly and directly and is this. Divorce will 100% have lasting psychological effects on your children. Let me repeat that. Divorce will 100% have lasting psychological effects on your children. Impacts that I actively work on healing to this day as an adult. Divorce-related stress will follow your kids daily. And this is the part that breaks my heart. No child should have to go through that. No child. No child should have to go through that. Now, that's not my opinion. That's not something in the Bible. That's not me preaching. That's real people. People who you know. People who are members of our church, who you see, and they look like they got it all together. But what they will tell you is that their life will never be the same and has never been the same because of the decision that their parents made. And that's not to say they can't be successful because, like I said, they are successful. But the sentence at the end, no child should have to go through that. No child should have to go through that. And when you see that and you consider the damage done, not just to you, but to your children, okay, if you're considering divorce, is it any wonder This next verse that I'm going to show you, is there any wonder that God says the following after reading all those quotes? Malachi 2.16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And when it says take heed right there, like I'm going to speak a little bit boldly, but forgive me. I'm only going to speak boldly because that's what the scripture does. It says, take heed. Listen carefully to me. If you are considering divorce or if you know someone who is, you never want to be on the side of something that God hates. I promise you, that's not a good place to be. So if you are moving towards a direction that God says, I hate this direction, take heed like the verse says. Take heed that you do not deal treacherously because that's not a good position to be in. And let me speak also to those who are out there who are listening, who, like I said, have a friend who's moving towards divorce. You do not want to be, you do not want to be the friend that supports a decision that God hates. Let me say that from the bottom of my heart, because I take this very seriously. When people come and ask me my opinion, I could easily say what people want to hear and the nice thing. And I know we got loving people out there and we support, and we want to love, we want to be there, but please take this very seriously. Because it says that God hates divorce and you do not want to be on the side, supporting the side that God says, I hate. It's a dangerous position to be in. And if that's you, please take heed. Now, let me pause right here. Okay, cool myself down a little bit and say, actually, I meant to say this in the beginning, but I I forgot. I want to make sure that there are people who are listening to this whose marriage have ended. And I'm not here to condemn you. And I'm here to judge you. And please, I don't want you to feel any guilt or any shame or any judging or anything like that. Okay, that's between you and God, not between you and me. Because I know that there's many people out there. There's many, many people out there who did their best when it came to marriage and who tried everything that they could. And they fought and they fought and they fought and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. But the bottom line is it takes two to tango. It takes two to make the marriage work. So if you're in that situation where, where, where you have done your best and you know what, the other person wasn't willing, I'm not here to judge you. Okay, but what I am here to do is to speak truth. And the truth of the matter is, as is, is, is your situation 
um, shows is that doing everything right doesn't always mean that everything will go right. So I'm not by any means saying that if you believe the truth and you get rid of the lies that your marriage is going to be perfect because unfortunately, there's still the other person that's involved. The other thing that let me also acknowledge is that some people who have gotten divorced and have since turned their lives around and repented and seen the error of their ways. So again, not here to judge, but I am here to speak the truth. And it's important, okay, that I want to be sensitive to you and I want to be sensitive to all those, but we need to speak the truth and make sure that we reject the lie that divorce is no big deal. A long time ago, several years ago, I wanted to speak about divorce at church on a particular Sunday. And again, I was worried about like, you know, but there's some divorced people. And again, who did everything right. And, you know, they tried and they fought for their marriage. But, you know, the other person wasn't willing. I want to be sensitive to that. So I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I should. So I reached out to this person, these people. And I said, you know what? I'm thinking to do this. You know, would you be okay? And all of them. Okay, every single one said, yes, we want you to speak about divorce. And they even said, we're going to pull our kids from Sunday school so they can listen to this message because we need our kids to know that what they see with me and their father or me and their mother is not God's plan. We need them to hear it from you. We need them to know that, yes, this is what, what has happened to us, but this is not, we want better for them. So please, okay, if you are out there and you're listening to this message, please don't feel judged or shamed. That is not my goal. My goal is to preach truth. Because like I said, the only way to find healing in life, the only way your friend who's considering divorce will find healing is truth, is not sugarcoating, is not speaking lies, but is believing the truth. And the truth of the matter is, is the impact of marriage is beyond even what your eyes can see, impact of divorce, I should say, beyond what your eyes can see to your children, your children's children, and even beyond. Because our third and final truth is this. Marriage isn't just a contract you made with your spouse. Marriage is a covenant that you made with God. Marriage isn't a contract you made with your spouse. It's a covenant you made with God. You know the difference between a contract and a covenant? A contract is you do X, I'll do Y. A contract is what you sign when you uh, rent an apartment. So uh, I will pay you, you know, $1,200 a month. You will let me live in this, you know, uh, one bedroom studio efficiency, whatever it may be. And, and that's sometimes how we view is marriage is that, okay, I will go into marriage and I'll be there for life, but you got to do your part. So as long as you make me happy, I'm there. And as long as you meet my needs and as long as no one else better shows up, okay. And I don't meet someone better then I'm all in. But the second that, that, you know, you don't meet your end, I'm out and it's a contract and we can, you know what? Like, it's just a contract. That's how we think of it. That's not true. Truth is marriage is not a contract with a spouse. Marriage is a covenant you made with God. And a covenant is a vow for life. And it's a covenant, again, not between you and your spouse, but between you and God. You know, in the Old Testament, when they would make covenants, what they would do, or two people would make a covenant. It was like, again, a lifetime vow or lifetime commitment. What they would do is to seal the covenant. They would take a bull and they would cut the bull in half. Okay, this way, not this way, this way, like the... the, the cool way, okay? Like top to bottom, okay? Um, they cut it east and west. So they would cut it and put it in, in, in half on the left, half on the right. And then they would make the covenant and the two people would walk through this seven times. So they would walk through. And the idea was, the implication was, if either partner in this, in this covenant breaks the covenant, this is what's gonna happen to them, okay? That they deserve this to be done to them. Well, you know what? Marriage is not a contract with fine print and, and expiration dates. Marriage is a covenant and it's for life. 
And it's a covenant that you walk not with your spouse, but you did it with God. That's why it was done at the altar. That's why weddings have to be at the altar. Weddings can't be on the beach or in the street. Weddings have to be at the altar because there's this idea of a lifetime, a sacrifice. Okay, something is taking place, something sacred where God is walking and you are walking. God is saying, I will do my part and you will do your part. Okay, and I promise from all of life, uh, for the rest of your life, I will do my part. And my part is what? God says, I will unite, I will bless, I will sanctify, I will crown, I will transform things that bring division into a means of blessing. I will do my part. And you have to do your part. And your part is what? Your part is nothing to do with your spouse. Your part is husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as the church does to Christ. Your job both, husbands and wives, is thou shalt not separate. That What God has joined together, man shall not separate. That's your part. And I'm telling you, that in, 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 in an Orthodox wedding ceremony, you see this so clearly because the difference between an Orthodox wedding versus a non-Orthodox wedding is, you know, like when you watch weddings on TV, it's like the vows and, you know, like I promise to, you know, uh, have and to hold and to sick and in health and to rich and poor, whatever. And these vows, people write their own vows. They say their own vows and that's nice and it's cute for the TV, but come on, man. You're not just making vows to your wife. You're not making vows to your husband. It's not a contract between you and them. Orthodox service, there are no vows. You don't say nothing. You keep your mouth shut. Because it's the vow between God and man, not man and man, or man and woman, okay? It's not, it's not between husband and wife. It's between God and man, and God and woman. And God is saying, this is what I will do. And you are saying, this is what I promise to do as well. And that's why St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7. Now to the married, I command... I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Couldn't be any more blunt than that. You don't depart. You don't divorce. Because you made a vow in front of God. And you are not just breaking a contract with your spouse. You're breaking a vow with God. And again, that's not a position that anyone wants to be on, is breaking a vow with God. Now... Practically speaking, okay, I realize, let me be very practical right here and say that I know there's some people listening to this and I know that my words are a little bit tough and I know and I know and I know and believe me, the nice part in me, the little part that's nice wants to say it's okay and I know your situation, it's, but I, I, I can't, I can't, I cannot preach a position that is contrary to what St. Paul said and what Jesus said and the entire scripture say from start to finish. So therefore, what I want to say to you is this, okay, practical advice you're sitting there saying, but my marriage stinks. What do you want me to do? Just suck it up and just kind of be miserable for the rest of my life? That's not what I'm saying, okay? What I am saying is, so first of all, as I've said every week throughout this series, is if you are in a situation, like if you're the extreme and your life is in danger or there's abuse involved or anything like that, I'm not talking to you, okay? You need to get help. You need to get to safety. And even if you need to do whatever it takes, okay, you need to get to say, you need to get to professional help as soon as possible. I am not speaking to you throughout this series. I'm speaking to the 98%, okay? The 2% that's fine. But the rest of us, the 98%, the let's be honest, that's not us, okay? Us is more about, like I said, there's previous lies. I married the wrong person or it's all his fault or he's no good or I'm no good. If you're in that position, let me say the following to you. I'm gonna give you three pieces of advice and they're quick, Okay, and they are general advice. And the reason why I give general advice is because I don't know you and your situation. So I, you can never take a general, okay, advice like this. You got to take it to like the, the medical, take it to your primary care physician, your father of confession. Okay, and he can help you to see how to apply that to your own particular situation. Okay, so I give general advice based on the scripture, apply 
with wisdom based on your father of confession. And the, the general advice is the, is the basic principle of life that's given to us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. It says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is the principle, a life principle of sowing and reaping. And I want to apply that to marriage in three particular ways. And I'll go through these pretty quick. The first way is, obviously, number one, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And that basically says this. If you sow apple seeds, you will reap apple trees. If you sow orange seeds, orange trees, orange fruit, uh, watermelon seeds, watermelon fruit, you reap what you sow. In life, if you sow or you give a smile, you will probably reap a smile. The easiest way to get a smile is to give a smile. Okay, if you're driving and you give a honk, you'll probably get a honk. If you give a wave, you'll get a wave. If you give a wave with only one finger, okay, you'll probably get a wave with only one finger. Bottom line is marriage in particular, okay, all of life, you reap what you sow. So uh, people reflect to us what we give to them. But in marriage, it's magnified. So think of marriage like those, you know, those, those crazy mirrors, like in the haunted house or the, in the, in the festivals or whatever it is, the crazy mirrors where like you look at it and things are big and things are. So what that mirror, that mirror does is take what you give it and amplify it or magnify it. That's what marriage is. Your spouse is like the crazy mirror. So when you give your spouse kindness, what I discovered is you get magnified kindness. When you give patience, you get patience. When you give criticism, you get criticism. Magnified, comparing, comparing, complaining, complaining. You give, you get what you give. So first piece of advice, if you don't like what you're getting in your marriage, then maybe you need to look at what you're giving because you reap what you sow. Second advice, you reap where you sow. You reap where you sow. We've all heard the expression, the grass is greener on the other side. But the truth of the matter is, you know where the grass is greenest? It's where you invest the most of your time and your effort, where you water it the most, where you fertilize the most. The best part of your yard physically is where you invest the most effort and time. Same is true when it comes to your marriage. If you put all your energy and your passion and your effort into your career or your hobby or even your kids, then don't be surprised if you don't have a great marriage. If all your energy and effort is diluted and dispersed into many different areas and none of them is marriage, don't be surprised. And the people who have lost marriages or, or have struggled in marriage will be the first to tell you, I heard it from their own mouth, they'll be the first to tell you that marriages don't go from good to bad overnight. It's not like a boom, this thing, one thing happened. Anyone who says that is probably lying to themselves and for sure lying to you. Okay, that's not what happens. It's not that one time or it's not that one event. No, no, no. What it is, it's a gradual, steady decline where we gradually invested in our kids more than in each other, in our friends more than in each other, in our careers, in our hobbies, in our recreation, in ourselves. We gradually, we gradually invested in everything else except one another. And that's why we fell. And if I can be honest with you, this is where I think many people are today. And this is where I would tell you, this is where you need to look. Many marriages have gotten complacent. Again, we invest in everything except our marriage. And then tell me in what other area of life do you expect to put zero investment and have great results? You don't expect that in your career. You don't expect that in your physical health. You don't expect that with your teeth even and your dental care. 
So why do we expect it when it comes to marriage? We need to make investing in our marriage a priority, whether that's praying with our spouse, whether that's having time just to speak and hang out and laugh and do recreational things, whether that is having spiritual intimacy, whatever it may be, we need to make time because you reap what you sow. Secondly, you reap where you sow. And then third, and our final piece of advice, is you reap after you sow. And this is an important one because what we want is to reap and then sow immediately. But tell me what seed can you plant in the ground and immediately pull up a piece of fruit? The only way to get fruit is to plant, to sow, and to be patient. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. So after those verses that we just read, St. Paul says this. He says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And I want to ask you, what might that look like for you? What does it look like we shall reap if we do not lose heart? What might that look like? What, where your marriage is today, okay? What could it look like if you made a conscious effort to sow and to be patient? You made a conscious effort to build up and to encourage versus to criticize, to be patient versus to complain, to be kind versus to be judgmental. Like what could happen if you said, I'm going to sow, believe the best, not assume the worst. If you are going to reject the lie of, I married the wrong person, and you're going to say, you know what? This one is mine. This is my spouse. I chose them. There's no such thing as right person. This, I don't need the right person. I need my person. I don't need the right wife. I need my wife. I don't need the right husband. I need my husband. This is the one I chose. I reject that lie, and I'm going to reject it today and tomorrow and the next day, and I'm going to invest in this, and I'm going to go all in, and I'm going to reject that lie, like I said, and I'm going to believe the best and not assume the worst, and I'm going to encourage, not criticize, and I'm going to, when problems happen, look in the mirror, not look outside. What could happen? What in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart? I promise you. I promise you, if you start investing in your marriage, I promise you it will not change overnight, but I promise you that if you are consistent <clears throat> a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, or my hope, 50 years from now, I promise you, you will reap what you sow. That's in everything in life. It's up to you what you want to reap based on what you sow. And like I said, I know, like I said in the beginning, that flies in the face of society today. Society today will tell you the exact opposite. Society today hates my message because my message is hard work and my message is effort and my message is patience and that's the opposite of what society will tell you. Society will tell you, you know what? Quick fix. and Just pull the plug. Divorce is no big deal. That's not a big deal. It's an easy way out. Look, it's not working. Like you tried. Like you've been doing it for like a year now, right? <laughs> a year? Come on, man. Return it. You know it. You know it's not going to work but you're better. You're smarter. You realize that divorce is a big deal because marriage is not a man-made institution. Man didn't create it, so therefore man has no right to pull the plug on it. Marriage is a God-ordained mystery, and God said that he hates the one who tries to undo what he did because actually you can't undo. You can't undo. It's not something that we shouldn't undo. It's something that we can't undo. We can't unwind what God won because marriage in the end is not a contract between two, you and your spouse, it is a covenant you made with God. <clears throat> and the last thing that marriage is, marriage is a legacy that you leave behind. 
In our last series, we talked about leaving a legacy and what story it is that we want to tell, what story we want our kids to tell. The story your kids tell about you and the decisions that you make today, what do you want it to be? Do you want it to be that, you know what? They started good. They started strong. <laughs> Starting strong is not a legacy that I want. I want a legacy that says he finished strong. I want my kids to tell the story that I fought through the challenges, that I fought through the obstacles, that I, that I did it for, for their sake and I did it for the sake of my covenant with God and I did it for my own sake. And I want that to be my legacy. I want my legacy not to be that we fell in love and you know things were hard, so we pulled the plug and then we tried again with someone else. I don't want that to be my legacy, legacy and I don't want that to be yours. I don't want my legacy when I stand in front of those pearly gates to be that I tried to unwon what God won. That when Jesus said, let not man separate, that what God has joined together, let not man separate. I don't want my legacy or your legacy to be that we tried to do that. So my advice to you is let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, I wanna wrap up this series by asking you for a favor, okay? I'm done preaching, no more preaching. I just wanna ask you to do something for me. And even if you don't wanna do it, for my sake. Okay, nod your heads. This is all the married people. This is not the single people. Don't do what I'm about to tell you to do, okay? This is for the married people. Do what I'm about to tell you to do. If you're married and you're sitting there at home watching with your spouse, Okay, I want you to sit, hopefully you're sitting next to each other. I'd like you to hold hands, please. Yes, I'd like you to hold hands. It is allowed to hold hands with your spouse. Okay, don't hold hands with nobody else. Okay, hold hands with your spouse. It's allowed to do that during church services. You're allowed. I give you permission. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone. And even if your kids are snickering right now, haha, let them snicker. Okay, it's good for them little rugrats to see some affection between you and your spouse. I'd like you to hold hands right now. And I'd like to remind you of something that happened to you on the day of your wedding, okay, whenever that was. <clears throat> on the day of your wedding, near the very end, you were sitting on those two chairs and the priest came and took you by the hand and asked you to hold hands with one another. And this was, if you remember it, okay, this was at the very end when, you know, we had already said the prayers and we put the crowns and the robes and we prayed over you and we did the all that stuff and cheering and like everyone was happy. It's at the very end as we're giving the instructions to the bride and to the groom. And the priest said, hold hands with one another. And then a priest put a veil on top of your hands, okay, a white veil covering your hands so you couldn't see the hands anymore. Both hands were held and were being covered by that veil. And the reason why we do that is, there's multiple reasons, but it, there's a connection between a, a, a marriage and communion, okay, because back in the day, weddings used to take place during the liturgy itself. So that was like for communion and there was that unity right there and that communion veil, okay, and it was a unity between God, man, and woman. But there's another reason that I, I think the church gives us that. And I always tell this to the couples. Uh, when you have a, a husband and wife holding hands like this and it's covered in a veil, you can't separate them, okay? Once they're, once they're holding hands and their hands are covered like this, you can't see where he begins and he ends and she begins. You can't see the beginning and end of either one of them. And if I were to cover my hands like this, okay? If my hands were covered with a veil and I said, you know what? Go ahead and chop them in half. Go ahead and, and break the two of them apart. Okay, go ahead and divide them. You can't. Okay, once the, once, once the hands are connected and covered, any chopping you're going to do is going to cause damage to both of the parties. Okay, because the hands are interlocked at that point in time. So there's no way you can make this separate 
without causing serious damage. Well, you know what? I think the reason why the church tells us to do this is because now at that point in the marriage, that's what God sees. God doesn't see two, God doesn't see two anymore. God sees only one. And yeah, the world doesn't see and the world's like, yeah, they're just holding hands and you take the veil off, what's the big deal? But we're not going by what the world says. We're going by what God says. And this is a great mystery. And the truth is that two have become one. And every time, okay, if I married you, if I did your wedding, you may remember this because I may have said this to you. I always say to the couple, okay, when I come over there, I say, I'd like you to hold hands right now. And they hold hands. And I say, don't let go for the rest of the service. Okay, then I cover them with a the veil. And then I, I do like a pump fake. I take like a step away. And then I take a step back and I say, and actually, don't let go for the rest of your life. And they usually laugh and they snicker. But I say, I'm not joking. Don't let go for the rest of your life. Everywhere you go, you hold his hand. Everywhere you go, you hold her hand. And you don't let go. Because letting go of him or her isn't simply letting go of a contract. Isn't simply like a, a logistics. It's letting go of God and of the covenant that you made with him and the legacy that you leave your children and the impact it's going to have on their children and their children's children. And when you let go of that one hand, you don't realize how much you are truly letting go of. <clears throat> and as your priest, it is my greatest desire, it is my greatest desire to see you hold that hand, again, not just with your spouse, but with God as well, that unity of three for the rest of your life. So here's what I want you to do right now. Keep on holding that hand. Don't you dare let go for the rest of this time. I want you to hold that hand. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes, and we're going to say a short prayer. And as I say this prayer, I want you to repeat after me, not out loud, because that would be weird, okay? But I want you to hold hands, close your eyes, and repeat after me inside your heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Repeat after me, dear God, I love you. I want to please you. God, you've done so much for me. I'm asking you, Lord, to help me fight through the lies. I'm asking you to help me see the truth and be honest with myself. Help me not to be deceived, whether by Satan's lies or by my own deceitful heart. Lord, give me the strength to never quit. Give me the strength to never quit to do what's right, to fight for my marriage, that I may one day experience the beauty you have for me in marriage, and that I may leave a legacy for my kids and my grandkids that I'm proud of. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this series. If you missed any part of it, please make sure you go to our YouTube page and get caught up. God willing, we will start a new series next week. So hopefully we'll see you back then. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for joining us here today. We'd love to connect with you throughout the week. You can find us on any social media platform where you may feel free to share a message that inspires you with family and friends. If you'd like to receive our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website, stsa.church. 
If there's anything we can do for you, please visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. Thanks again for joining us here today and have a great day.